Welcome back, listeners. I'm Dave Kale, your co-host of the Riddles in the Dark podcast, and with me as ever is the illustrious Tolkien professor, Professor Corey Olson from Washington College. And let's get started. How are you this morning, sir? I am excellent, and I know I am uh, eager to get to our topic today, and I know that many of you have been interested uh, to hear us talk about all of the news that has been coming out of CinemaCon with the exciting release of 10 minutes of footage there. Um, and of course, sadly, we don't have that 10 minutes of footage to see ourselves, or we'd have much more that we could say. So we are reduced to uh, talking about the rumors that are filtering out of it. But nevertheless, there's still plenty to talk about. So that's what we're going to be getting to today. Uh, but first, I think we had a little bit of uh, some, some comments and feedback from previous episodes. Yeah, yeah, we sure do. It is kind of sad that we have to resort to uh, hearsay on this because nobody oh, invited yes. us to Las Vegas to, to watch the 10-minute footage. What's up with that? Yeah. Actually, you know what? Before we even do listener feedback, I, I, I want to run one thing by you, and I don't want to get sidetracked by this, but uh, <laughs> would, you like to, would you like to offer any thoughts on the 48 frames per second controversy? <laughs> you know, I, it's – I. I guess I don't actually care all that much. <laughs> uh, I mean, I am so not a film purist. Like, I, I mean, I, I, I didn't even get an HDTV for a really, really long time, so I, it doesn't really bother me. I'm, 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 a, very, I'm a very good uh, uh, suspense or uh, disbelief suspender. Uh, so, um, so, yeah, I, you know... I'm sure it's good. Honestly, my biggest fear, and this has been my biggest fear ever since they said they, that uh, <clears throat> that they were going to shoot it in 3D, is that like the better the uh, the film quality is, the higher the chances it's going to make me puke because I get motion sick very easily. But other than that, really, I have, I have no particular feedback about so, it. So, so it doesn't bother you if it ends up looking like a daytime soap or a home video. Well, you know, I, 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 I really don't know. I mean, honestly, I guess all things can... Certainly on this kind of thing, I am perfectly... As, as, as freely as I am prepared to, uh, to second-guess Peter Jackson's decisions in other matters, when it comes to matters of actual filmmaking craft, I'm just willing to roll with him there uh and if he says it's awesome like it's probably awesome so you know we'll see we'll, we'll see what happens but yeah uh, i i rather agree i suspect that um uh i suspect it that um uh i i get the i get the impression that the people who are chalking this up to um kind of you know cognitive phenomena that the, you know, it has less to do with what it actually looks like and more to do with what our brains expect it to look like and that if we just sit through it long enough, we'll eventually get used to it. I, I imagine they're right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not terribly worried. I, I think that controversy is overblown. People, what people should really be focused on is why the heck is there a tomb of the ring rays? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yes. And actually, we're going to focus on the ring rays later. So yeah. as, long as, we're, as long as we've brought it up. I just got to get off my chest one small thing, because we're not going to focus on this today with the CinemaCon thing, but uh, the the references that several people have made to a snatch of film that showed Legolas with drawn bow uh, at the foot of the tree where the dwarves are bound up by the spiders, um, it may seem like a small thing, but like that 
news gave me like the most sinking feeling of anything I have heard about this film so far. Like I just, I'm, uh, you know, as I've said on Twitter about that, I am trying not to panic about that particular piece of news. If they're going to bring not only elves, but Legolas, uh, into the rescue of the dwarves from the spiders, that has an enormous effect. Basically, the sort of the potential ripple effects of such a choice on their part are enormous because that is one of the very biggest moments for Bilbo's character development. That's when he becomes a hero. That's you know, it's I, I, it really cannot be overestimated the significance of Bilbo's solo rescue of the dwarves from the spider colony. It's such a big thing. As big as Bilbo's bravery in going down to, to, to see Smaug and talk to Smaug. So if they're going to bring the elves, and not only the elves, but Legolas in to that moment, um, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to draw conclusions based on, you know, a secondhand report of one short snippet of of film, you know, who knows exactly how that's going to work. But, of course, the, the fear that it inspires, the reason it inspires such dread in me is it makes me wonder how they might be planning to change the arc of Bilbo's character. Um, and I, 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 it gives me dark suspicions about it. Um, dark suspicions of him being more comic relief and less developing hero. But, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, and we'll see, you know, certainly we are planning episodes in the future on Bilbo's character arc, so we'll come back to that later on. But uh, but I know that was something that several people were mentioning, and it's not what we're going to spend most of the show on today, so I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. Let me me briefly alleviate your concern some, because I talked about this at length um, last Thursday with our good friend Father Roderick, and um, uh, his read on it which which I think is is perfectly reasonable because all we all we all we the tidbit we got from people who watched it was um, was Legolas pointing an arrow at a dwarf covered in spider web. Was, uh-huh. This is after they've escaped the spiders and um, and uh, you know there's no reason why the dwarves after the after Bilbo has rescued them wouldn't be wandering around still kind of covered in spider webs. Spider webs, yeah. So that it would be the capture of the dwarves post-rescue? Yes. Yes. Yeah, well, goodness. I certainly hope that that is the case. That certainly does, uh, that would alleviate the vast majority of my concerns there. Good. I'm glad you feel better. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, all right. Let's get on the listener feedback so that we can then move on to the ring raids. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Good thing we don't get distracted or anything. That's right. First things first, uh, uh, we had some we had a fantastic exchange on Twitter with Uncommon Fan, but we're going to save that until we talk about the ring raids because it bears on that. Yes. Um, we've had over thirty comments and like a quite active conversation thread on the, on the episode five um, uh, uh, Mythgard post. Episode five, if you recall, was the uh, trolls. Trolls. People, right. people really seemed to take to that topic and had a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of a lot of philosophizing on it. Um, and I don't think we're going to get into it too deep because there's so much. I think what I'll do is I'll dig through it on a, on a digest episode, which I promise we're going to do a digest episode um, uh, very soon because it's piling up. But um, there were two, two really interesting things. Well, um, uh, the first one that I want to do is uh, a guy named Jeremiah Burns uh, said, shame on us for not mentioning the talking purse. Yes. 
Uh, I agree. Shame on us for not mentioning the talking purse. Yeah, I, I thought you would enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then he follows up with, it will 100% not be in the film. It, 100%. Possibly 115% <laughs> not be in the film. In fact, it's like one of those things, <clears throat> just like I would have said about Tom Bombadil. I mean, <clears throat> I'm willing to... I'm willing to lay a wager <laughs> that the talking purse will not be in the films. Uh, it's, it's just like with Tom Bombadil, is one of the first things that crosses my mind with The Hobbit. Like, you know, well, obviously they're not going to do X. Talking purse, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's kind of disappointing, but... Um, it's sad. Love the talking purse. But yeah, exactly. Um, no, I'm, I'm already stealing myself for the complete absence of talking purses. Yes. Um, so... Um, Aogun uh, posted something really interesting. Posted a link to, or rather a time, and I turned it into a link to a specific spot in the production video number six, where Aogun claims that we get to see a potential female dwarf. Yeah, I, I looked at that, and I'm not sure. I mean, I can totally, it's a very interesting theory and well spotted. I mean, I can see why he thinks that, but I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I guess my biggest question is... I'm not sure those are even dwarves. Those are yeah. just, just people dressed in rags. Right, exactly, yeah. So, I, I, exactly, I'm, so I'm not at all... I, looking at it, I'm, I'm certainly not convinced that it is. It's conceivable, I suppose, but I'm not convinced. And in particular, my biggest issue with the female dwarf thing, um, if you're not going to get... Like the only way, the only dwarves that come, the only way dwarves come into this, we don't have any dwarf homes that is other than the wrecked one in the Lonely Mountain. Um, so the only way that there are going to be female dwarves, the only dwarves of any kind that are going to show up in this film, are those that are journeying and fighting. You know, if they don't come along on the journey or show up to the battle at the end, they won't be in the film because, I mean, unless we're going to get snippets of like. Meanwhile, back in the domestic quarters of the dwarves, which I don't see why we would do. Um, so, basically, and that shot on the, that uh, that frame in the uh, um, the trailer thing, um, the 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 video preview, is an outdoor scene. So, I, I get like, what are we going to get? Like a picture of random dwarf women roaming around the mountainsides? It just doesn't really that doesn't really make any sense to me. So, I can't imagine how it could possibly be being shoehorned in in that way. Ah. Might, might we get some reference to female dwarves? Like, might some of the dwarves who accompany Dan Ironfoot to the Battle of Five Armies be female? I wouldn't be deeply shocked to see that. Or but, uh, what about Lonely Mountain flashback? Possibly. possibly. But, but, those, but those dwarves are standing out in the middle. Of course, I guess there's no reason to think that they're actually filming, but it doesn't look like they're filming a Lonely Mountain scene there. It looks like they're standing out in the middle of, like, rolling hills. Yeah, exactly. It, I mean, it's it's possible. I mean, that is that is, I guess, the one other place I can imagine is like a flashback to the destruction of the Lonely Mountain. That you might get some female dwarves running in terror from the dragon with everybody else. Um, maybe I guess it's possible, but I'm not. I'm not yet really convinced. Oh, and, and just so our listeners know, this is uh, in production video number six on YouTube at about the three forty four to three forty six time mark so mm-hmm. if you want to go check it out and let us know wh- what you think whether it's a female dwarf go check that out and, and uh, definitely post comments um on facebook and on this uh on the Mythgard uh post for this uh episode and on twitter of course um 
just briefly, uh, Farund, uh, Farund uh, gave us a potential good question for next year, of course. We can't do this one right now. He wants to know whether we think there's a possibility that Peter Jackson will conflate the Arkenstone with the Dwarven mm-hmm. Ring. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I'm. Uh, I have. Would love to talk about the Arkenstone, but yeah, we. Uh, that's uh, definitely self control movie film a, a movie two thing. So yes, exactly. We shall be disciplined. Yes. So, uh, but that definitely, I think uh, we're going to have a variety of prediction questions on the uh, Arkenstone. I'm sure. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. Let's. Uh, let's. Um, move on. No, actually, one one more piece of fan feedback from last episode. I don't I don't think last episode's been up long enough to get a ton of um, feedback, and everybody's had a chance to listen yet because uh, I just posted them at the end of last week. So um, yes, the episodes are just coming too fast now. Um, Bree posted on the Mythgard site. Uh, she proposes a split, um, uh, basically dividing Merkwood between the two films split right after the battle with the spiders. You know, I, I can see that. I mean, I do think that that's the second most likely, uh, you know, I, I do concur with the general, um, or with the, the, the common, um, assumption that the, or conclusion that the split's going to be after the barrel ride. But, that would be, I think, by far the second likeliest or the other very natural place uh, to break it is right when they get captured by the ads. Yep. Um, and I just I just want to toss out there that uh, Bree also happens to agree with me that uh, they will omit the dull gold or battle. Okay. All right. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Um, okay. Ring raids. Uh, let's let's get on it. Um, yeah. Of course, uh, the biggest controversy um, to the filmmaking world uh, after the 10-minute footage reveal was the 48 frames per second thing. But I think the part that Tolkien fans seem to seize on, and you could, it's interesting, you could tell um, uh, by, you could tell, you, you without even knowing who wrote a particular post um, describing the footage, you could tell whether they were a huge Tolkien fan or not. Because... Yes. If they were not, then they just skated over this. They're like, "Oh, we saw Gandalf investigating some stuff." If you, you know, if you, if they're actually Tolkien fans, like the post uh, from Quickbeam on the One Ring, <laughs> then they like zeroed in on this. They're like, "Uh, what's going on here?" <laughs> um, so uh, it, it was interesting to see. There were there were some there were some posts where they just barely even they, you know just mentioned it in passing. Oh, it's you know the tombs of the Nine Ring Raids. The Tolkien people are like, "Tombs of the Ring Nine Raids." Um, <laughs> so, right. uh, just generally, I'm sure our listeners know, you know, are familiar with this and in fact probably have read more reviews and, and plumbed more, uh, details than we have on this, but, uh, Peter Jackson and company seem to be innovating a lot of new material, um, material that I think it's fair to say is not even, could, could, I don't think you could even argue that it's derived from the apocryphal material yeah. or the appendices or the unfinished tales. I mean, uh, they're, they're, they're going against the common ring wraith lore with a lot of this yes. stuff. Um, yes. Yeah, no, I think, I do, I agree. I think that this is... I mean, I'm trying to think. There are probably other examples that I'm forgetting right now, but this is certainly the biggest thing that I've heard from them, which is simply uh, and straight up 
a, a change, like where they are just altering the story that Tolkien said, not filling in details that Tolkien doesn't provide, which they do a lot of, which is perfectly legit, nor, you know, kind of taking a very small reference and really expanding it or giving it a very different importance or anything like that. Um, but, but actually altering, um, introducing a new plot line, which is totally different from anything that Tolkien says in any of his writings. Yes. Um, so what do, what are people saying? Um, so briefly, this, this all seems to hinge on, or, or seems to be involved in the White Council storyline. Um, and, uh, it seems to, people are describing it as Gandalf investigating the rising darkness. Um, I'm guessing somebody must have said something to that effect on screen. Um, and I think we, we I think uh, the, the content can be broken <coughs> up into two things. Um, there seem to be several scenes that, where he's underground in sort of a dungeon-looking um, um, uh, uh, sort of scenery, which I think a lot of the scenes we saw in the trailer previously that we thought might be Dol Goldor are probably this. But yes. basically sort of underground, dungeon-looking scenes, um, in fact, he apparently runs into Radagast the Brown in there, and um, uh, and this turns out to be tombs, um, and specifically tombs of the Nazgul. Um, and then we get a scene, apparently, where uh, Gandalf is uh, doing a little PowerPoint presentation for the White Council <laughs> right. about, about the growing threat, <laughs> and, uh, and there's some conversation about tomb of the the ring ray nine ring wraiths um the tomb having been uh shut with binding spells yada 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 he digs a sword out of there there seems to be disagreement about whether this is glamdring or not i i I sort of some people assumed it was other people um are talking you know the quick beam i'm inclined to trust the one ring post more than anything Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He, I agree. He didn't seem to construe it as glamdring. Um, he refers to it as a morgul blade. But basically, yeah. Gandalf is doing this little presentation about um, uh, about uh, uh, the um, about the the ring raids showing up. You know, this tomb being opened. The ring raids have escaped. I dug up this sword. All this kind of stuff. And then we get to see sort of um, uh, reactions by the the White Council. Um, and so, uh, anyway. Um, let me see if there's anything worth passages actually worth reading from these reviews um, uh, on uh, the website. Bad word I'm not going to say on the air because I'm sure kids are listening to this. Digest.com. <laughs> um, uh, they say um, uh, we saw Gandalf investigating a rising darkness, and one scene he's at a table with Elrond, Galadriel, and Saruman talking about ancient tombs that have been opened. Um, ancient tombs with strong binding spells that no one should have been able to get in. Um, and then there's a scene of Gandalf investigating the open tomb where he runs into a very silly Radagast the Brown who has some birds under his hat. And and in an aside about a shot, uh, we also say a shot of his sled being pulled by bunnies. Uh, I don't even know what to say about that. I hope that's just a joke. <laughs> uh, no, that... <clears throat> we got some... The OneRing.net post gave some... Enough uh, detail, <clears throat> enough of a detailed description of that, that it seems like it uh, was not a mistake. Um, I kind of just say, I actually, like, to, to do another little brief aside on the Radagast point, because, again, that's not going to, you know, we, we might do a full Radagast episode later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, just to kind of comment on this in passing right now, the 
decision, which, based upon this footage, it certainly appears they are making to make Radagast comical. Um, you know, with a bird's nest under his hat and, like, birds pooping in his hair and whatever. Like, I... I, I this doesn't this doesn't shock me. Uh, I, 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 was, I would say I am neither shocked nor offended by this. Radagast is... I mean, Radagast is, a, is, a, is just about a clean slate. I mean, the only... The only one, like, inviolate fact, if you're going to follow Tolkien, that must be true of Radagast, is that he must be the friend of birds and animals. Like, that's, that is the one, the one thing that you cannot separate from Radagast and still keep him as anything like the character that Tolkien describes. However, we know very little else about him. I guess we also know that he's honest. Um, but, uh, but that's... Um, and that you know, such that it, Gandalf finds it absolutely inconceivable that he could that he would uh, ever be treacherous. Um, so, you know, but actually, how you make his character, how you depict his character, how he even how he talks, we get a couple brief secondhand uh, quotations from him from Gandalf and the Council of Elrond. But really, we don't get all that much. So, so there's a there is a pretty clean slate for the filmmakers with Radagast, and I actually think that it's pretty defensible to make him comical because. Um, I mean, he never does anything. He never accomplishes anything that we see in the books. Um, so there's no real need. You're not jeopardizing anything. I mean, just to, to make a contrast, um, you know, they had to, in the films, when they made the decision to make Gimli comic relief uh, fairly consistently in the films, they had to try to balance that with the fact that Gimli actually does stuff. Um, and is effective. <laughs> like he's not just comical, and uh, so I mean, presumably they'll be balancing that somewhat with Radagast as well. But there's nothing set that he has to do. Like there's 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 no task which if he does not perform, you know, it will be some kind of a you know massive alteration or violation. So so I actually I'm 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 pro- I don't know that I am necessarily pro sled pulled by bunnies, but I am pro comical Radagast. Um, that seems. That seems fine in general. <laughs> anyway, just a little comment on that. Um, okay. Um, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'll keep interrupting you. Carry on. <laughs> so, Cinema Blend did a po- very uh, post that mostly focused on the forty-eight frames per second. Um, they described uh, Gandalf searching through what appeared to be catacombs before being attacked. They don't say by what. Uh, then came a meeting with Gandalf, Saruman, Elrond, and Galadriel, in which they discuss. Here's the person that says, Glamdring, a sword that was supposedly locked in a tomb that was thought to be forever sealed. Um, uh, and then, then is a scene in which Gandalf is in a tomb and is approached by a strange little man who keeps birds under his hat. <laughs> yeah. You can yeah. tell this wasn't a Tolkien fan, because they said, I wasn't entirely sure who it was. Right, yes, exactly. Uh, they, Nobody would have any question about who that was. Yes, that's right. <laughs> was a Tolkien fan. Um, uh, this, I, I think there might have been a scene of Gandalf actually in the the dungeons of Dol Guldur because there's a lot of people describing a scene where he gets attacked by an old man, um, similar to the one in the in the trailer, and right. most people seem to suggest that that was uh, Thrain. So. Um, Unless that scene in the trailer is not Dol Guldur after all. Of course, that assumption was we ma- we all made that assumption when the trailer came out yes. because we couldn't think of any other dungeon catacomby ruins thing that where Gandalf would be doing solo exploration. Because of course, shockingly, none of us suspected he would be exploring the Tomb of the Ringwraiths, which doesn't exist. So, um, 
so, however, I think that that changes things. I am no longer convinced, based on this, I am no longer convinced that that scene in the trailer is Dol Guldur at all. I think it could quite likely be the Tomb of the Ringwraiths, which would help to explain the whole open air thing. Yep, yep. Uh, I think you're. I think that's entirely reasonable. I, I think, I do think that there's the possibility that we're actually seeing scenes, uh, shots from two different scenes. There that. You know, it's entirely possible that Gandalf at one point is in the dungeons of Dol Guldur, at another point is in the the tomb of the Ringwraiths or whatever. Uh, so it could be both essentially, because other, I'm not sure. Like, what? Who's this crazy old man in the you know near the nearer in the Ringwraith tombs attacking Gandalf, or is Thrine in the tombs now? Right. Right. Um, right. so. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know. I, I mean, of course, the question of whether or not it was Thrine is—I mean, that's that's pretty speculative to begin with, and that's it may true. well turn out to be some other random crazy yeah. guy. I mean, uh, the Thrine uh, theory is a, is a cool one. I mean, uh, it's interesting. I mean, I, I guess we picked him just because we we don't have the same reason that we thought that was Dol Guldur. We can't think of any right. other crazy old man that would attack Gandalf <laughs> in a dungeon-looking right. area, so. Right, and we know that he is supposed to have, uh, you know, he's supposed to meet Thrian. Um So yeah, so I mean, that's that's that. Yeah, it's 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 a it's, it is therefore a very logical conclusion. But yeah, but if that's the tomb of the Ring Wraiths, all bets are off on who the old guy is. I think. Yes, I, I agree. Uh, so um, also, you know, again, it's so confusing reading these things because people are. You don't really know what happened. You're just getting people's interpretations. It could be the way people are describing Radagast's appearance in the tomb mm-hmm. is is sort of as a sudden, like you know, Gandalf's walking along in this creepy area, and then you turn around and oh, there he is. Um, right. It could be some people are interpreting that as an attack, you know, right. even though it's this goofy man showing up behind him. So it's really hard to know what's going on. So I, I'm, I think let's uh, let's talk a little more in depth about the One Ring post because since that. That, yeah. that's a, he seemed to have actually been paying attention, taking notes, and able to yeah. identify characters on the screen. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I think I basically more than most of the you know more than most of the other sites. I yeah. trust not only that they're paying very careful attention and uh, and have studied all of the previous stuff well, but also that they're familiar with 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 the Tolkien stuff. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, we'll skip over the Radigast stuff. He he actually unfortunately spent. Um, uh, 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 four to one time on uh, Radagast to other stuff. So, what he says is, um, he says that uh, uh, Christopher Lee is sitting in front of a green screen, looking at a table where Gandalf has just played placed a Morgul blade. So he's not he doesn't think it's Glamdring. He's just calling it a, a Morgul blade. Um, they're talking about it. Oh, and you know that makes sense because I saw somebody else refer to it as Immortal Blade. <clears throat> I bet they just misheard Morgul. Oh yeah, yeah. Immortal. Oh, that makes me feel better. Makes, Maybe it's not Glamdring. Yeah. No, it's that's that would be. I mean, why the heck <laughs> would they have sealed Glamdring if they found Glamdring? You know, if they found the sword of the king of Gondolin, why would they lock it away with the ring rates? It just that doesn't make a lick of sense. No, yeah. So, uh, so, so this seems to be evidence that it's it's just a Morgul blade, whatever yeah, that yeah. means. So, uh, here's the really interesting part. Kate Blanchett uh, explains how the men of the North once battled against the Witch King of Angmar and succeeded uh-huh. in burying him in a spell-protected crypt so dark and deeply buried it would never see the light again. Uh, okay. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Well, let me say about this. I think this is I can I can see this. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. There are two things that I think about this. Is that basically I can definitely see how this makes sense. <clears throat> I mean, let us just like say again, there's no question of any precedent for anything like this uh, in Tolkien's writings. They are not working with Tolkien material here. But what it does seem, what I'm getting from this, and it doesn't surprise me, is that basically with the story of the rise of Sauron, basically the story of what happened, what's happening in Middle-earth between the war with the Witch King of Angmar and the rise of Sauron and the War of the Ring at the end, that basically the filmmakers were kind of dissatisfied with that. And, you know, I can totally buy that because basically what Tolkien describes is a lot of lying low on the part of the bad guys and, you know, in ways which are not really understood by the reader or by even by most of the characters, kind of gaining strength. Um, gaining strength in ways which are as kind of indistinct and indeterminate as is the use of magic in Tolkien. Um, you know, in what ways does Sauron need to grow stronger? How does he grow stronger? How is he gaining power to himself? What has he been doing since uh, since the Battle of Dagorlad when he, the ring was taken from him and he was overthrown? Um, he is clearly coming into power again. Um, he has set himself up as the necromancer, and that's like a relatively recent thing. Um, so, uh, so you know, it's 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 clear that he is on the upward trajectory. What the Ringwraiths have been doing, and in particular, what the Lord of the Ringwraiths, what the the the, the former Witch King, uh, has been has been doing, is much less clear. I mean, he runs away. He gets he runs away. He escapes from the last battle when Gorfindel makes his prediction, and then is just with the other Ringwraiths over there in Mordor, preparing for the return of Sauron. And we're not told exactly what that what what preparations exactly are required. What what are they doing? Um, so basically, when it comes to depicting this stuff on film, what are they going to do? I mean, what are they going to say? Like, oh, they've just been off wandering. I. It sounds like the assumption that the filmmakers are making is that that's going to be really hard to sell to viewers. They want a clear and concrete explanation of where have the ring raids been and what have the ring raids been doing since the fall of the North Kingdom. Um, and the answer is they have been locked away. And so, you know, again, from a film perspective, this answer seems to make some amount of sense to me because you have them... Uh, you have you, you both explain where have they been, and also you can you create um, in a visually dramatic way a sign of Sauron is rising again, namely in the escape of the Ringwraiths from their prison. And now, like clearly, the darkness is rising, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. So I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. Like it's completely. I wouldn't have expected it. I, I, I would not have predicted this particular move. <clears throat> but hearing about it and thinking about it, you can see where it makes sense. Well, um, I'm guessing we're not going to get to see. Uh, I, I'm guessing we won't get any flashbacks of the the ring raids uh, battle with Aaron or um, Glorfindel's prediction or any of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I, I I wouldn't bet against the prediction. Not that I think we're going to see a flashback. Because, I mean, I, how many great battles do we want flashbacks to now? I don't think we're going to get that one, too. 
but at least a reference to it when they're talking about the Witch King. Um, I absolutely could see one of them, uh, Saruman, Gandalf, uh, Elrond, Galadriel, mentioning the fact. Of course, Gorfindel doesn't exist, so uh, so they have to alter it. Or maybe one of them will, who knows, perhaps one of them will make the prophecy during the... Did you see that? I could see that. Uh, that, like, the prophecy is actually uttered during the movie. In fact, yeah. In fact, hey, I'll predict that. I predict that the prophecy is going to be uttered live during the film. It will not be a historical prophecy uttered by some elf lord who no longer exists in the movie world uh, uh, during the time of the, of, the, of the battle with the dude who died. No, no, no. No, it's going to be uttered by a member of the White Council. I'm going to go with Galadriel during the film. That's my so, prediction. That's so free, free bonus prediction today. Out of curiosity, you're saying that she will generate a novel prediction... Uh, or are you saying that we'll just see her recounting a prediction from, from oh, no, no, days no. of yore? She is going to make the prediction. It is going to be the the, 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 the prediction will be because uh, we because we're, we're going to want foreshadowing to the movies that they've already seen because people are going to be thinking of Aowen when when they're talking about the the, the Witch King. Yeah. Um, so I, I think so. I, I I would I think there's a really good chance. Of, chance that, that the prophecy happens and rather than just being like yet another piece of exposition of his of history i think they're going to incorporate especially if the witch king is going to be involved in the in the actual drama of the films mm-hmm. i mean he's going to be there you're not going to have the basically you can use it they could use that as a way really as it was used in the books as a way to bring a kind of short-term closure to the Witch King's story arc within this story, whatever that story yeah, arc that's is. Reasonable. Which is... So here's a, here's a question. Um, um, so yeah, so no, I, that's my fearless prediction. I, I think, I think you're, you're making an interesting point um, uh, about kind of basically them trying to make, make, make more effective use of these villainous characters um, that, you know, that, that there seems to be some incongruency between how active they are in um, the, uh, in the Lord of the Rings story. And I'm not just talking about the films, but the books themselves and kind of the way things are working, uh, you know, just 50, 60 years ago during the Hobbit. Um, mm-hmm. There's also some incongruency between um, Sauron uh, in these different stories, and I'm I'm kind of wondering. I'd love to hear you speculate just briefly about kind of how you might how you whether you might expect might have expected Tolkien had he had a chance to make similar changes to his own story. Could you, you know, like the the necromancer is 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 so sort of i mean it's such a kind of a proactive personal sauron kind of like the the sauron that we get from the second age where he's actually running around meeting with the elves and and going and confronting the 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 numenorians himself and and even taking it upon himself to go to numenor and destroy them uh, and then the, the the Sauron that we get from in during the Lord of the Rings is kind of the, I'm, I'm using I'm using terminology from uh, from American religion. He's the deist the deist um, Sauron. He's kind of distant and he's just he kind sets of the war in motion and then just lets it go. Yeah, he set the war in motion and let it go. But, and, but you have this uh, this uh, very personal Sauron during the Second Age. 
and 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 uh, the Hobbit seems to be the transition where he's still, you know, as the necromancer, he's taking this personal hand in things, and then and then by the Lord of the Rings, he's he's holed up in Mordor and just letting his lieutenants do things, and uh, and I'm kind of wondering if maybe Tolkien had had he had a ch- second chance at um, uh, or had he had additional time. To, to 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 do this job of incorporating the Hobbit into the larger story. Do you think he might have made changes like this? Do you think maybe maybe even have changed it to where Sauron wasn't the ne- wasn't the necromancer? It was the Ring Raids, and maybe have the Ring Raids be more actively involved. Yeah, I, I certainly don't think that last thing. Um, Sauron as the necromancer always was. I mean, it's one thing that sometimes people that people don't understand. If you if you don't if you haven't read the history of Middle Earth and the Silmarillion stuff. Um, then a lot of people don't realize that Sauron was already called the Necromancer. I mean, this is a known thing. Um, that is, within Tolkien's legendarium, it's a known thing. Um, so it was not the case. Uh, yeah, because you know, many Tolkien readers are familiar with the fact that a lot of this stuff he's kind of making up as he goes along. There's that famous letter, uh, I think, to W.H. Alden, where he you know, talks about like getting them to the Inid Bree, and there was this like strange and mysterious guy named Strider there, and he didn't know who the heck he was, and all that kind of thing. You know? So basically, there are a lot of people who are familiar with that element of Tolkien's work, that he was, you know, there are many things that he was discovering along the way and didn't himself know the significance of. But it is not the And this was true of the ring, very notably. Right, that the ring in the 1937 Hobbit, the ring is just Bilbo's magic invisibility ring, and there's nothing especially sinister about it at all. Um, and then Tolkien decides, after the Hobbit is published, and when he's working on the sequel, that the ring is going to be the link between the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, between the Hobbit and its sequel. And he, you know, as the story of the ring develops and what it really is and why it's important, it really changes, and it necessitates his going back and changing the Gollum chapter. But the necromancer is not in that category. It was not the case that he, in The Hobbit, just invents this like vague evil dude called the necromancer that he doesn't know anything about, and then later on he's like, okay, I need a big villain for the sequel. Um, how about this necromancer fella? Maybe it turns out he's this guy named Sauron, and I'll make him like the really big bad guy. That's not how it happened. So, uh, the character of Sauron already existed, because uh, he had already been working on the Silmarillion stuff, of course quite a bit. Um, it was not yet in the form in which it was finally published by Christopher Tolkien after Tolkien's death, um, but it was but but it was there. In fact, one of the things that he was working on most closely with The Hobbit, that is, in the years right before he was actually writing The Hobbit, the other thing that he was working on at the time was uh, a long epic poem called The Lay of Lathian. It's, it's the epic poem version of the Baron and Luthien story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the longest version uh, the longest and most detailed version of the Baron, Luthien, Baron and Luthien story that they ever wrote. Though, of course, as with most things, he didn't finish it. But, um, in The Lay of Lathian, uh, Sauron is a major character in that story. Baron and Luthien, well, Luthien, anyway, fights Sauron and puts him down. Um, and he gets he gets beaten by... Uh, okay, I was about to say he gets beaten by... Uh, you know, an elf girl and her dog, uh, but that would not be quite fair. Anyway, uh, he, Sauron is defeated. He is called the Necromancer. Sauron is is okay, he is used. He is that title is used to describe him in the Lay of Lathian. <clears throat> and when he leaves, when he is banished by Luthien and Huon the Hound in the Lay of Lathian, um, which is this is still how it happens in the published Silmarillion. He goes off to this deep forest. Right, it's the forest up in Tower Nufuin, 
in Beleriand, in North Beleriand, if you're familiar with Beleriand geography. Um, and he fills it with darkness and dread and evil. Mm. Um, and it is quite clear that in Tolkien's initial conception, when he was first writing The Hobbit, that Mirkwood is that forest. That that is the forest that, you know, he, it's, 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 it, there is a lot of evidence that shows that when he first conceived of The Hobbit, he was placing The Hobbit in Beleriand and in the context of his Silmarillion stories. That evolved and changed uh, as he was drafting it. And the, the 1937 published Hobbit does not take place in the First Age, does not take place, does not bump elbows with the Baron and Luthien story. There's actually a reference to Baron and Luthien as a recent event in the very first penciled draft of The Hobbit. Wow, interesting. Yeah, he cut it, Um, but it was there. Um, And the whole Fall of Gondolin thing, which is referred to many times still in the published edition, was not ancient history. When the first, when it was first conceived, when it was first drafted, he was writing part of that same story. So this idea of Sauron as necromancer is an old idea, um, and so that identification, uh, you know, is basic. So, so this is not like, hey, there's a necromancer dude. Let's make him into the big bad guy. Instead, he's like, well, maybe okay. We have Sauron, who is the servant of Morgoth, and uh, but maybe this is Sauron. Maybe Sauron is going to rise again. Maybe you know, so Sauron is the necromancer, and he's going to rise again. So I think that there's there's no chance that Tolkien would have changed that identification or the sort of major story there. Would he have gone into more detail? I do think he would have gone into more detail there as to what the necromancer would be doing, because you sort of compare and contrast the two things. That is, Sauron's activity, as you were saying, Dave, Sauron's activity is necromancer. And Sauron's activity, or his level of activity, sort of as you as you say, um, as 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 necromancer and as dark lord of Mordor, um, he is, it seems, sort of personally inactive uh, in, as the dark lord of Mordor. We don't see him coming out, and there's even that exchange between Pippin and Denethor, where Pippin asks, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Gandalf says ominously to Denethor. Uh, when the army, when when the army of uh, Minas Morgul is approaching Minas Tirith, and he says, "And one has come whom I feared," and Pippin says, "Not the Dark Lord." Um, he's, you know, Pippin is imagining Sauron himself marching at the head of this army to Minas Tirith, and Denethor laughs at him and says, "Oh no, no, no! He's not going to do that until he comes to glory. To, you know, to, until the until victory is achieved and he comes to glory over me." Um, it's of course the Witch King that uh, Gandalf is referring to. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so. He's not going to act directly. But that doesn't mean that he's idle. He's not exactly a, a, a sort of a deist tyrant uh, I, I, in The Lord of the Rings. At least I don't think that that's what we're invited to imagine. But again, this gets back to the very non-visual and in some ways kind of indistinct application of magic and willpower uh, in Tolkien's world. What Sauron is doing, he is very active. But what he is in doing is inspiring all of his servants with will and strength and power and animosity. Um, this is why the moment that Sauron pulls all of his attention away from everything else and swivels his attention over to Mount Doom when Frodo claims the ring for himself and he realizes that the ring of power is right there on the cusp of the cracks of Doom, uh, and he pulls all of his all of his will and all of his attention away from everything else and his armies just like stand there and they're like... What are we doing? What's going on here? Um, because the will of Sauron was completely focused in motivating them and driving them and filling them with strength and power. That's what he's doing. 
um, over there in Baradur, and that's why he doesn't leave it. He's busy. He's doing stuff, uh, but he's not walking around doing stuff. Interesting. What he's doing. That's not what he's doing. We're never given anything about what the necromancer does, except, I guess, the one thing, we know that he's sending out search parties to look for the ring. Um, that does happen. You know, we're, that is described in Unfinished Tales, that he is searching the river near the Gladden Fields because he knows that that's where Isildur died. Right. And that was the last sort of confirmed ring sighting uh, that any of them are aware of. Right. So, but, but basically, what the necromancer is occupying himself with, all we're told is that he is growing in strength and power. What does that mean? I don't really know. So would Tolkien have expanded that? Yeah, I imagine he might have expanded that. But that's something that he certainly might have been interested in doing. So again, is there an opportunity to you know, give Benedict Cumberpatch some lines? I guess there is. I'm still nervous about them, but, <laughs> but there is an opportunity. And, and certainly, thinking about it from a filmmaker's perspective, it's a challenge that has to be faced. What do you make Sauron doing? Um, from, you know, in Dol Guldur, what's his plan? What's his, what's, you know, the, cause, because the whole gathering strength thing, you right. know, growing in power, isn't going to work on film. Yeah. Uh, and what are you going to have, like a slowly inflating, flaming eyeball? I mean, it's not, it's, it's you know, <laughs> like a, a little, like, thermometer graph of, like, you know, Sauron's power meter you know, as he's, he's, he's almost fully charged, you know, as he's, he's plugged in. I don't know. I mean, like, it's, it's just, it's not going to work on screen. So he has to be doing something. So, I, I yeah. I like the sauron meter I think that's what they should do. <laughs> Yeah, they should totally do that. Quick! He is only at 71% of power! We must act fast! The necrometer. (laughs) (laughs) So, obviously, one of the ways that they can do this, and and I think they have to be careful with on-screen appearances uh, by by Benedict Cumberbatch as, as the necromancer, because... In my opinion, the more they show him on screen, the more they'll diminish him. Um, uh, it, it's just inevitable with these types of villains. So obviously one of the ways they can do this is if they have ring wraiths riding around everywhere. Yes, exactly. And I was going to say basically exactly what happens to Voldemort in the Harry Potter films. Yeah. He is so much less scary because you see him all the time. Yes. Um, and he ends up he ends up being almost comical and looking absurd. And frankly, this is true in the books as well, I think. Um, the Dark Lord Voldemort, he who must not be named, is a fantastic villain for like the first three, even four books. But once he starts showing up and then showing up frequently, uh, he is much less scary. I, 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 think it, I think, in fairness, I think you could argue for Harry Potter, God, let's not get sidetracked on this, but I think, I think you could argue that to some extent that's kind of the point that she's doing, that, that ultimately... Ultimately, people really made him out to be more than he really was in terms of a villain. Uh, maybe that was kind of the point. I don't know. On the other yeah. hand, it is it, it there re- does reach a point where you're like, this guy's just a doof, man. He just like shoots himself in the foot constantly. Yeah, and yeah. I guess, but I guess Sauron does too. Um, even even though he's never made out to be quite so so diminished or comical as as Voldemort was, he really suffers from the same problem. Um, yeah, but yeah. so. Let's talk more about 
how the ring raids what what is what are they going to be doing in this film? That seems to be the thing that people are most worried about. Uh, the people in the chat room, and there are people in the yeah. chat room, by the way, this morning. Uh, oh, excellent! That seems Hi, to be what friend. they're worried about. Sorry, I'm not joining the chat, but I am. I am multitasking, challenged. I yes. can't fucking think and also read. At well, the same so, time. so is so is everyone. Uh, every <laughs> uh, multiple studies coming out of Stanford have shown people can't actually multitask; that they actually suck at it, um, and it actually makes you dumber over time. Yes, I've heard that. Um, so uh, what are they going to be doing? And people seem to be uh, – nearly everyone that I've seen comment on this seem worried about this. Th- this seems to be like, you know, fine, make a change here, make a change there, add the White Council. We know you can't resist putting Legolas in this. We know you're going to yeah. add some female characters. Um, yeah. Yeah. But ring raids, I think we're rapidly reaching the point where people are saying you've crossed the line. I, I, I understand. Though, again, I think – you know, if after after several deep breaths, and we're talking like a couple of days of deep breathing, uh, you know, I've kind of uh, come to peace with it. You have to have um, if if the storyline is going to be evil is arising again, evil is returning. Like that, you know, the, the evil we thought the evil was defeated, but now we find that it is coming back. If that is the overall plot, which makes sense, I mean, that follows along with uh, what. Tolkien describes. If that's going to be the story, what happened to the ring rates? We know that the ring rates are there with Sauron and the Lord of the Rings. So, like, there they are. Where do they go? If they're just at large, still roaming around, like, hi, we're still, like, filling Minas Morgul with horror, and, uh, you know, we're over here, like, occasionally doing insidious things because we're evil, well, then who is going to be saying, like, well, we thought evil had departed from the world. Like, if you're going to have a rise of evil... So, you know, they are, it seems, rendering that... And I agree, I think the whole, like, we locked them in a tomb and then they broke out thing is at least potentially a fairly simplistic device for pointing to this kind of thing. Like, we thought that evil was locked away forever. But now it has escaped. Now, like, we see the time that, like... and, And who let them out? Who broke the seals and helped them to escape? Um, but this, of course, also draws attention to another thing, which I think is genuinely a problem in the books, and that you can see Tolkien kind of wrestling with in the Unfinished Tales material when he's going back to it in the Quest of Erebor, is uh, why did the wise not tumble to the fact that the necromancer was Sauron from the beginning? First of all, why did they not remember? I mean, like, as I said, people knew that people Thu referred to him as the necromancer. Yes, in the first age, and we've got some first age veterans sitting right there. Yeah, when, when you no. mentioned that, when you said that, I, that's something I actually I hadn't known. But when you mentioned that this had been a guise he'd gone under before, I'm, I was sitting there thinking, like, uh, what is wrong with these idiots? Hey, there's a there's a really powerful evil guy named the necromancer. Who could that be? Right. Have we right. ever known anyone to go by that name? No, Gladriel, I don't think so. Gladriel, like used to hang out with Luthien. I mean, she lived in Doriath. She was <laughs> right there. Um, so yeah, so no, it's it's basically the whole question of like, who could the necromancer be? Um, and one of the things that he adds, that Tolkien adds in the unfinished tale stuff, is the um, and also I think this comes in at in the. Uh, in the essay on the Rings of Power in the Third Age at the end of the Silmarillion, too, um, where Gandalf and Elrond are having a conversation about this post-Gandalf's uh, reconnaissance to Dal Guldur, and he says, it is not one of the Ulyri as we, as some suspected, or as some theorized. So basically, he gives a plausible theory, 
for who this necromancer guy could be. That 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 there is in fact another candidate, and the candidate mm-hmm. is basically the Witch King. Yeah, because they know he's still at large. They know the Ring Raids are still out there, um, and so when a you know a a big evil dude seems to be arising in Mirkwood, it is perfectly plausible that that could be the Witch King. Totally plausible. Uh, you know what he's doing in Mirkwood is you know presumably not utterly unlike what the Witch King did up in Angmar in the north. So you know it could totally be him. Um, so that seems to be the working theory that the wise are working under. Gandalf seems to suggest in kind of a sort of superior I told you so way that he was pretty sure it wasn't all along. Um, but, uh, but anyway, that's, 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 perfectly, that's perfectly plausible. But it's challenging. In some ways they're kind of backing themselves into a corner because if, uh, if the ring rates are locked up, then obviously they couldn't suspect it was one of them. So now they have to just go back to there is some strange evil. But basically that I think they can do by simply making the evil more mysterious. Yeah. Um, do, do you think um, do you think adding this plot line about investigating the ring raids, escaping from the tomb and all that kind of stuff, and maybe involving them in the story, does that does that point toward do you think that will be used as evidence that the necromancer is Sauron, or do you think this will this is basically taking the idea that the wise thought that the necromancer was one of the ring raids, and and just kind of making that a little more concrete in this storyline? Like they're going to be talking about, oh, the ring raids escaped, and 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 the conclusion they'll jump to will be, um, uh, how'd that happen? Well, that must be them stirring up trouble in Mirkwood, or do you think it's going to be? Um, there's no way they could have escaped unless somebody really powerful let them out. Uh oh, that doesn't sound good. Yeah, uh, must that's be exactly what I think. Yep, yep. So, so you think, exactly think. So you think this White Council is going to be a, maybe a little more savvy or uh, a little quicker on the draw than the uh, than the book White Council? I, I think so. I think so. I mean, because um, it's. I mean, these are genuine problems, or at least challenges <clears throat> to Tolkien's writing and rewriting and revisions and things. Uh, you know, similar to the problem of like, why didn't Gandalf tumble to the fact that Bilbo's ring was the One Ring prior to that? I mean, like, could he not count on his fingers? Um, they knew where the other great rings were. Like, if it's he says it's, it was a great ring, like, why doesn't he at least suspect that maybe it's Sauron's ring? Uh, from the beginning, yeah. You know, anyway, so there, there, and there are ways that Tolkien tries to get around that. But in other words, the White Council not so swift on the uptake. I, I do about wonder. <laughs> I do wonder because, in my opinion, one of the one of the things that you one of the pieces of evidence that you really get, or one of the one of the sort of, uh, or I think I think you get the sense during the Council of Elrond that these that these people aren't dumb, but they yeah. really live in denial. I mean, yes. it's not so much that they really think, like, this isn't the ring and that Necromancer guy wasn't the Sauron, but more it's like, boy, we really hope it's not the ring and we really hope that's not Sauron because we don't want to deal with it. Right, right, um, exactly. Gandalf seems – Gandalf, I really think, like, sort of in his gut seems to believe these things from the very beginning – but yes. is is hesitant to go and try and make the argument without any evidence. And you and you obviously, you know, uh, um, 
like from almost the beginning, it seems like you have Saruman who's actively arguing against him, and, yes. and so without any evidence, he's gonna he's gonna get batted down by Saruman, and so yes, yes, exactly, and you know, it, it's there's also the other thing that people forget about when they are thinking about this kind of thing is the fact that the average reader of the Lord of the Rings, and certainly the reader of the Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion, has more information than the wise do. They don't know all of those things. That's true. I mean, there's there's no internet. Okay, I mean, they don't like they don't know what's going on across the world. They have, they, you know, even the wise <clears throat> have usually heard secondhand um, stuff about what went on in other places. And I mean, that that Gorfindel told them about what happened with the Witch King, for instance. But like, you know, most of them weren't there. So anyway, I mean, it's. We, we sort of take for granted that, like, the wise must certainly have all of the information that, that, that readers have, but that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, so things that we say, well, but, like, we know it couldn't have been that. Well, yeah, but did the wise know that it couldn't have been that? Like, do they know for sure, for instance, that it can't be one of the dwarven rings? Uh, you know, I, I, no, I don't think they do know that for sure. They know that some of the dwarven rings have been lost. Um, so, you know, who knows? Like, do they know, have they done a recent head count of the ring wraiths? I mean, they know that the nine rings, uh, were, you know, were not just like left lying around. Um, do they know for sure? Uh, that, I mean, have they done a roll call in Minas Morgul? I mean, like, no, it's conceivable. It could be one of the nine rings that was, you know, for, uh, who knows? So anyway, so there, there certainly are other possibilities. Um, but anyway. So a, a point of clarification in the in the story of the book at this point in the timeline, they know they're not sure who the necromancer is and, or whether he's Sauron, but they don't yeah. actually think Sauron's gone or dead. Right. Because they know the One Ring was not destroyed, and they know whatever other people might believe, they know that he he cannot be destroyed until. The ring has been destroyed, right? So even even if even if the necromancer isn't Sauron, even if they believe that he's one of the ring raids, they still think Sauron's out there somewhere. Yes, they do. But it does seem that there is a little bit of uncertainty about Sauron's destiny. That is, remember that Gandalf says that Saruman's line, the 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 line that he lulled them with, to use Gandalf's word, mm-hmm. is that the ring was rolled down the river to the sea mm-hmm. uh, and is now in the sea. Now, of course, as from the perspective of the return of the king, say, um, the logic it seems that the logical response to Saruman at that point would be, okay, so in other words, we're screwed anyway, right? Because Sauron, without the ring, apparently, is still sufficiently strong or has gained sufficient strength in the Sauronometer that... Um, he can still kick our butts. Like, they can't defeat him. They have no hope of defeating him except by destroying the ring. So, uh, so, so, but that, it seems, is not known, for sure. Mm-hmm. That there seems to be a debate or an uncertainty about what exactly was the effect on Sauron of losing the ring without its destruction. That is, with, while the ring still exists in the world, as it would if it were at the bottom of the ocean, while the ring still exists in the world, even while he does not have it in his possession, how much strength does he have or can he gain? It does. It seems that the wise do not have the answer to that question right away. And that, Saur, and that Saruman, by telling them, by lulling them, by telling them that, oh, he'll never find the ring again and it's fine, is also seeming to imply, and without the ring, he's a pushover. 
So I think that there are kind of two things, and it's another way that you could spin the whole necromancer angle. That is not just like, who is this necromancer fellow? We can't possibly imagine, but okay, is that really Sauron? And if it's Sauron, is he a big deal? Because he might not be a big deal. You know what I mean? He might just be like a shadow of his former self that we could go in and squash. That's possible. Um, you know, if, if he were deprived of a huge percentage of his power just by the taking away of the ring, which seemed to be the case at the end of the Battle of Nagorlad, um, if, that, if he's still that way, then let's just go and swat him. But then Gandalf discovers not only, oh crap, it's Sauron, but he also discovers, and this is a big deal, <laughs> Sauron is gaining in power, um, uh, we, we need to attack him now before the Sauronometer creeps up any higher. Mm-hmm. The with the the necrometer, right? That's right. That's right. Yes. <laughs> so um, let's let's transition into how we think the ring raids could be used effectively and in an interesting way and consistent with um, everything that we know about Tolkien um, and 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 on screen. Um, and, and one thing that I, I'm kind of curious about is if we have them riding around in the guise of black riders, how does that mesh with the whole, you know, very beginning of Lord of the Rings where they're like, hey, I think the not ring raids are abroad. They say they've taken the guise of black riders. Right. Uh, something right. we've never seen before. Not not back at the time <laughs> of The Hobbit, specifically. Right. right. <clears throat> this isn't how na- the Nazgul always look. Yeah, that is actually, I think, going to be a very interesting question. Uh, is Peter Jackson. And the same thing with Sauron. I mean, is Sauron going to have the same hat that he had in The Lord of the Rings? I mean, is he going to have that helmet thing? Uh, like, or, or is he going to have a different outfit? You know, like, uh, is he going to have, like, the necromancer costume, uh, you know, which he's going to later on trade for, you know, the I am the Tower of Evil outfit that he gets in The Lord of the Rings? Um, I, that's an interesting question. And the same thing with the Nazgul. Are they going to be... Now, presumably, their essence has not changed, so there's still going to be a sort of, you know, shapeless nothingness that you can only see when you're wearing the ring. Um, so that won't change. So I imagine they're going to be still cloaked and hooded and everything else, because how else could they be? But, um, but, but yeah, exactly what they're going to do is, I think, the really interesting question. In the book, what they're doing is preparing for his return to Mordor. So they're not in Mirkwood. They're over in, in in Mordor preparing the way so that when Sauron pretends to flee from the White Council, he does his tactical retreat thing. He's just returning to Mordor, which has now been prepared for his return, and the Dark Tower is being rebuilt. So um, so they're off in Mordor, like, minding the shop and getting things ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it seems quite clear that they're likely to be doing more than that uh, in the films. So this is going to be, so as to not make me actually late for class again this week, um, we should probably move towards the actual prediction, which is, yep. which is on this subject. Uh, that is our, our prediction question for this week, is what will the ring rates be focused on doing? Like in what theater of action uh, in the overall Hobbit story are the ring rates going to be uh, going to be focused in the films. Mm-hmm. And let's see, our four options are, number one, they will be in, Mo- they will be in Mordor. They will be focused in Mordor. As in the books, they will be focused on preparing the way uh, in Mordor, so we'll see them going down to the south and establishing, uh, est- you know, beginning to establish the kingdom of Sauron in the south so as to set up the ending where he, where Sauron returns and 
for some reason, best known to himself, takes the form of a fireball eye. But anyway, <laughs> uh, um, the second option. Uh, so that's option A. Option A is they will be they will be they will be Mordor oriented. Uh, option B is that the wait which one was option B was that Erebor? That's I think Erebor. Yep. Okay. That the focus of the ring reads will be on Erebor. That they will be uh, that the, that their job will be to you know they're going to be set free from their tombs uh, and they're going to be off and either you know going to try to help Smaug or to arrange the you know to arrange prep for participate in the Battle of Five Armies you know maybe we see them uh, conspiring with uh, a, a, a Goblin King or other um, maybe you know something or or maybe we see them trying to interfere with Bilbo and the Dwarves directly to to like intercept or. Um, I don't know <laughs> what you know, but basically they're going to be they're, they will be focused towards the north and towards uh, towards the Lonely Mountain. Option C is that they will be focused on Dol Guldur, meaning that they will be focused in you know fighting against the White Council, in preparing for the defense of Dol Guldur, in preparing or launching some kind of attack from the south of Mirkwood. Um, which the White Council is going to have to defend against. Uh, this is a possibility we didn't even consider last time when we were talking about the White Council, that the White Council's actions might be defensive rather than offensive. Um, but uh, anyway, so that's that's the third possibility, that they will be basically the, the leaders on the ground of whatever actions are being taken down there, whatever, whatever conflict is happening down in southern Merkwood. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth option... Uh, is that they're searching for the ring. That what we will primarily see them doing is being sent out in searching for the ring, um, either in dredging the river or in... Uh, which which uh, I, I, I would really love to see one of the ring wraiths diving yeah. uh, for the ring. You know, with like a little <laughs> snorkel or something. Uh, but anyway... I personally, I think they'll be walking up and down the banks with a metal detector. Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah, there's, there's so much possibility for comedy here. But anyway, so they'll be sticking <laughs> the ring by the river, you know, interrogating little proto-hobbit settlements or something. I don't know. Um, uh, and or, or they'll actually be... Um, uh, be uh, you know I, I don't know I, I don't know what else they, they could be doing I mean if we're going to be given some kind of hint I, I could imagine that it's conceivable we know in the Lord of the Rings films that they picked up on the fact that Gollum is uh, Gollum was captured and brought to Mordor and tortured until he told them about Bilbo and the fact that Bilbo was from the Shire and that's why the Ring Wraiths go to the Shire to look for the Ring so. Might we have a kind of a setup for this where the ring raids find, uh, like, hear about Smeagol, basically, and begin to suspect that somebody found the ring and took it away, and then they're starting to look for him so as to set up Gollum's eventual capture prior to the Lord of the Rings? Um, you know, might we get a scene uh, at the end of the film where, like, you know, Gollum is coming out of, of, of the Misty Mountains... Um, obviously we're going to be doing a Gollum episode or two later on, um, and we'll talk about this then. But uh, anyway, so I mean, I, 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 I can see them involved in various ways in just forgetting everything else, forgetting the Lonely Mountain stuff, forgetting the Dol Guldur White Council stuff, and their job is just go out and find the ring. Right. Um, 
Okay, so those are our four options. It's also, to, it's also possible to imagine <clears throat> a variety of options, variety of ways in which they might be abused, and right. uh, and used to ruin the story. Kind of like our our discussion before, where we had we had Azog showing up at like every major battle and scene and confrontation. <laughs> he's there driving on the spiders, and he's you know he's there with the yeah. Goblin King, and so we, right. we could have a we could have a ring wraith with him. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, we have. Uh, um... As somebody mentioned in the chat room, maybe one of the maybe the Witch King will be riding Smog. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh, thank you for planting that horrifying notion into my. <laughs> um, no, no, I refuse to believe that that will happen. And if for no other reason, then they're not going to reduce Smog in that way. They're going to make Smog into a really big deal. They can't not make Smog into a really big deal, mm-hmm. and to make him merely the mount. Of the Witch King, and therefore parallel to the you know the the donkey roaring fell beasts of the Lord of the Rings, um, is is like no, they're certainly not going to do that. <laughs> Zero percent chance. I refuse to believe. It. Yeah, I give them too much credit for that. Yes, yes, yes. I agree. Um, but yeah, so no, I, I I I I don't know. But I mean, clearly we have to brace ourselves for for ring wraith subplots. They're going to be involved uh, somehow. Yeah, they're going to be involved somehow, other than just as a sign of, a sign of you know doom and all of that. Which again, you know, the whole like, escape from the tombs thing—if you're willing to accept the entombing in the first place—and it's not like the you know the Dunedine wouldn't have entombed them if they could. I mean, like I'm sure they would have thought that was a swell idea. So, um, so anyway, you know, like what, okay. So one thing, one thing I would toss out to frame this discussion is. There has been nary a hint of casting of uh-huh. Ring Raids, which, yeah. uh, you know, I can understand why that maybe wasn't a big deal with the previous films, but with this film, I, I would think that it would be, uh, it would matter. That, you know, we would, we would, people would be watching out for this and, and we would hear news if they were cast. It's been nary a hint of casting of them, and there has been zero, anything, anything in terms of uh, reports, footage, pictures, anything of them filming scenes involving people cast as the ring rates, which tells, which seems to indicate to me that if they're going to be showing up on screen at all, uh, probably in the second film, maybe? Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing. If their primary role in the first film is like, oh my gosh, they're escaped from the tombs, whatever, like, you know, now we have to look out for ring rates creeping up at inconvenient times, I would expect it to be in the second film, it would be when those inconvenient times would come. Yep. 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 Totally agree with that. So, um, one another piece of evidence I want to toss out was uh, what what Uncommon Fan pointed out to us on Twitter yeah. that um, there's a reference actually in Unfinished Tales in the Quest of Erebor to um, uh, the relationship between Dol Guldur and the Quest for Erebor. Uh, um, Gandalf, while he's recounting sort of you know the, the idea of getting getting this this uh, quest together. Um, he mentions, uh, this is on page 323 of my version of uh, Unfinished Tales that has uh, um, uh, meme on the front of it with, with the band of men. I guess it's uh, Turin um, when he's in his guise as the, the bandit. <clears throat> um, he, Gandalf says, time is getting short. I had to be with the White Council in August at the latest or Saruman would have his way. That might prove fatal to the uh, uh, let's see, and would and nothing would be done, and quite apart from great matters that might prove fatal to the quest, the power in Dull Goldor would not leave any attempt on Erebor unhindered unless he had something else to deal with. Yeah, so. that's a really great uh, catch 
uh, by the uncommon fan there because uh, I had forgotten about that line. Um, of course, there's all of the stuff which is very high profile and is in Appendix A as well mm-hmm. about what Smaug would have done had he been left unmolested um, and had he still been around at the time of the War of the Ring. But that reference that Gandalf was anticipating the necromancer trying to prevent them getting at Smaug, mm-hmm. um, that he was already think that he was already planning. Of course, not shocking that Sauron would already be planning, uh, you know, some mm-hmm. kind of uh, alliance with Smaug, but. That he might have, that he would have been a threat to the quest. Yep. Um, that that's really, that's really, uh, and, and that basically, Gandalf is contextualizing in that passage the entire attack of the White Council on Dol Guldur is actually then becomes like the attack by uh, the Men of the West on the Black Gate at the end of the Return of the King. Let's like distract him to keep him occupied while uh, the Hobbit goes and does the thing behind his back. Um, it, it becomes actually quite closely parallel. It's not exactly the same, of course, but there, there, yep. there, there's a parallel there. So, there is in fact Tolkien authority behind the idea that the necromancer is going to at least attempt to directly attack or interfere with Bilbo and the dwarves, or come to Smaug's aid, or something like that. Yep. So, uh, is does that... Are you... Are you electing for option B then? Well, see, I have to say it is tempting. Tempting because one you know, one piece of credit that I will give to the filmmakers based on everything else, everything else, everything pre-Ring Wraith that I have seen them reveal about their plans for the Hobbit movie story, they have been um, picking up very carefully on the references that Tolkien made and the explanations that Tolkien gave in things like the Quest of Erebor and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> so I, you know, I, I could very easily see them taking that one sentence and expanding it into a subplot of the films that would actually make sense and would follow along with what they're doing. The biggest challenge there, I think, is how do you do it? I mean, a ringwraith attack on Bilbo and the dwarves, where are you going to fit that in? I mean, like, it requires, it would require such a massive alteration to the Bilbo and the dwarves story. Because the fact is, it doesn't happen, right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> even if they showed up at the Battle of Five Armies, I still think that really, I mean, yeah. that, if, if they're as powerful as we think they are, um, and and they have this ability, you know, this this power of fear. I mean, there is nobody at that battle of five armies that could beat them. There, no. There's no chance the good guys would win if they're there. No. Nope. Same nope. thing with it's... Sauron too. If Sauron shows up there, there's no chance that they can win. None. Um, None. And even you know, Gandalf. Even you know, we have to remember Gandalf is still Gandalf 1.0. Yep. You know, I mean, he's Gandalf 1.0 could not. I, I don't think he could have faced down the Lord of the Ring Rates. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I just, um, I, I just, I'm really not sure that 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 that, that he could have taken it. It, it. One possibility, um, and we'll have to figure out where how this answer, how this gets interpreted into our answers. Um, uh, that un- uncommon fan suggested was that maybe the intention will be to interfere, but they'll be intercepted by the White Council, and maybe this is how the White Council confrontation will come about. That that um, Sauron will be getting ready to send his ring wraith led army out of Dol Guldur to go uh, to go um, participate in the Battle of Five Armies or something, and then that's when the White Council will show up and say, right. so, "Oh, never so mind, we'll you have get... to deal with us." 
Right, we'll get an explicit, uh, unexplicit uh, uh, sort of live gate. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's possible. That's possible. I mean, I I do think I would very much not expect us to actually see any ring rates on the northern front. I mean, I just, I wouldn't, I don't think we're going to see any ring rates in Battle of Five Armies. I don't think we're going to see any ring rates collaborating with goblins. Um, I I don't think that's going to happen. Yep, I Um, I agree. But, see, it's going to be hard. I guess the one thing and the one the one tricky way about doing about setting up this prediction is if they're planning to go north, but then are prevented from going north, does that count as B? If somebody predicted B, um, uh, you know, I'm not sure I, because I, my prediction is going to be C. I'm going to go with C. I'm going to go with their focus is going to be on the Dal Guldor front. Yeah. Um, and be, because again, I think that it's going to be too difficult. Adding the Nazgul into the situation really changes the dynamics because the Nazgul are potentially more mobile uh, than Sauron himself down in Dol Guldur. Mm-hmm. Um, he can, just like they were in the Lord of the Rings, like, I'm sending them out to go and find the Shire. They're going to go across the continent on their own. Um, you know, they're like Sauron's away team. Okay, so, like, he could do that. And if he did that, what? how's the White Council going to intercept them? Like, what like a pack of nine horsemen? They're gonna like set an ambush for them up yeah, in the north. Yeah. Like, it's possible, I guess. That they that, but this um, is this is my concern too, and I, I'm just gonna warn listeners now: don't be surprised if you see these answers get altered. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> right. Because I'm starting to think: what if they pull their? We've seen them divide and conquer before. What if they send five here, three there, two here? Uh, mm. Crap. Um, I would. Convenient. Yes. Uh, there's, there's two. Should, should we include E all of the above? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're everywhere. They're involved yeah. in every storyline now. God, yes. I hope that's not what it is. Oh, ring well, raids I'm everywhere. I, I'm concerned. Especially since they don't talk, or at least not much. Yeah. Um, it would be kind of hard to have them involved everywhere. Um, yeah, I've got to. I've got Yeah, go you better run. Mind. So very Second briefly, here. I'm going with A. On they. Yes. No way. I, I, no way. Yep, I, I'm, and just you know, like, I, I'm, I'm. I think it's entirely possible that they're just that, that they're just going to be an unseen mystery, and they're going to show up right at the end as a a a, a, um, a, a um, Easter egg for the, pointing toward the next film. I'm just, I'm concerned if you have them on screen too much, they'll overshadow the necromancer. Right. Well, that is a bold prediction. I would not have guessed that. Thanks. Hey. All right. Very good. Very All right. Good. Okay, well, go to class. All right, yes, I'd better go to class. Thanks, everybody. This has been uh, a lot of fun, and certainly there will be some aspects of this, as I've mentioned in passing as we go, that we'll be coming back to when we talk about Gollum and when we talk about Bilbo and, and, uh, and other things along the way. I just want to do a few announcements. Um, for one thing, um, uh, we're, we've, we've got a uh, backlog of um, Riddles in the Dark Digest content, both in terms of audio content from our analysts, predictions from our analysts, uh, and then also comments and feedback from our listeners, you guys. Uh, and I promise I will try to get one of those, try to get a, a Digest episode or two done this weekend. Um, I won't let it keep lingering. Um, the next piece of, uh, the next announcement I want to make is we've actually just added a, um, we've added a new uh, analyst to our grid and to our game. Um, this person's name is uh, Hannah Harlow, and she actually works for Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Um, and she has been Corey's liaison while uh, producing his Hobbit book. 
and she's going to be joining our game. So we're really excited to have a representative from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt um, participating in the game. We hope that you guys will give her a warm Riddles in the Dark Mythgard Signum University welcome, <clears throat> and uh, we hope that you enjoy her predictions. We may be adding some new analysts soon. Um, and aside from that, um, I don't think we have too many other announcements. Just don't be surprised if we uh, um, modify the answers for this question because um, 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 uh, we, I think we, we may have a problem where the answers aren't actually mutually exclusive. So uh, don't be surprised if we modify them a little bit and by the time you see what they look like when uh, our analysts are making predictions. All right, that's all we had for announcements. Um, I'm going to uh, get off now, but uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, uh, thank you especially to our chat room people. It's really great to have a lively, live audience. And um, um, we hope that you're uh, enjoying the speculation and the build-up to the Hobbit films. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed.